listening to the Redfield Arts Audio Podcast. Okay, let's see if I can do this. Um, <clears throat> here we go. Let me let me try this. Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? The shadow knows. <laughs> Well, that's my best imitation, speaking into a glass of the um, opening announcement of the radio drama, The Shadow. And it was spoken in the series, the recording by Frank Reddick, and not by Orson Welles, as many people think. Um, Hi, this is Mark Redfield. The Shadow radio show is the first audio drama that I can remember hearing, that I ever heard. Of course, growing up, I listened to Disneyland records, Disney, you know, spoken word records and haunted house records and things like that. But it's the shadow uh, that I remember first. And um, I think it was the spring or summer of 1975. I remember it like it was yesterday. sick at home. I have to stay in for a couple of days. My tummy hurts. Yesterday was bad, but today is better. can't go outside to ride my bike or play with my friends. They aren't allowed to come over. Mom doesn't want them to get sick. She doesn't want Billy to raid the fridge either. Mom makes me eat a lot of soup. And bouillon, whatever that is little cubes she puts in hot water. And I sip that. I like it. But I like to have a ham sandwich with ketchup. It's so nice out. My bedroom window is open. I like to feel the breeze blowing. I can hear the rain. I finished my King Kong model today. I think I did a good job painting him. One, he's dry. I'll put them over there with my Dracula and Frankenstein models. I asked Mom to give me a Phantom of the Opera model. Some new comic books would be nice. to listen to in my bedroom. It's fun to find the different stations. What's this? Who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men? I love this station that plays the old radio shows. Every night they have a new show. Abbott and Costello are very, very funny. The Shadow is my favorite. Well, I was hooked. Hooked on audio drama. And uh, this AM station that I lucked into as a kid, they would play 
comedies. They would play Fibber, McGee, and Molly, and Amos and Andy, and Gangbusters, and The Lone Ranger, and, of course, The Shadow. And The Shadow is the one series that captured me. It dovetailed with other things that I was loving as a, as a single-digit kid uh, and a preteen back in those days. I, I liked comic books and I liked Batman. And there were things that even in listening to the radio show that struck me as being very similar to Batman. The secret identity, the fact that he was human and not necessarily superhuman but that he had certain abilities beyond mere mortals and able to uh, fight crime. It was a very appealing character. So I was hooked, and, and, and I dare say that it was the sort of thing that um, really fed into my work today and, and, and everything that interests me and in the kind of uh, work that I want to create. By the time I was 14, as the 1970s progressed, a lot of other things sort of dovetailed with my interest in audio drama. I was a big Sherlock Holmes fanatic, and I still am. And uh, there was a lot of resurgence of things, you know, there was a big nostalgia resurgence that started in the 1960s and continued on into the 1970s. It seemed that everything that was old that could be repackaged, particularly on television, but even in the cinema, even in the movies, Old comedy shorts, Laurel and Hardy, Marx Brothers films. Marx Brothers films were actually re-released in the theaters in the early 70s by Paramount. Um, it seemed that even Rocky and Bullwinkle and Fractured Fairy Tales, these writers and animators would dig deep back into the past of silent film days and there was just um, currency of what's old is what's new and it was great to be exposed to a lot of that stuff. And out of the radio series, what I began to see in bookstores that I sorely miss, like Kohl's or Walden Books, they began to sell audio cassettes. And I began to collect audio drama on, on cassette. And with that, I noticed that there was the publication of a series of paperbacks, I believe it was Bantam that put them out, that were um, a series of novels with the character of The Shadow, written by Maxwell Grant. Well, the history of The Shadow, the origin, evolution, and growth of the character over the decades is actually quite fascinating. There was a, there was a publishing company back in the late 20s, and by the time 1930 rolled around, what they, uh, they had, uh, it was called Detective Story Magazine, by the way, and it was uh, published by Street and Smith, and they wanted to, they owned the rights to the stories that they were buying from writers, and they wanted to turn these into audio drama. They, you know, radio was becoming more and more popular, um, and uh, so they wanted to do an anthology series, um, Detective Story Magazine, and they, they wanted to, um, they wanted to adapt these short stories into 30-minute radio dramas. And the original, the origin of The Shadow is that he was a character that was created to basically be an anonymous opening narrator to um, basically introduce the series and uh, be very creepy and very spooky. And uh, other radio shows after that, of course, did much the same thing. The Inner Sanctum, The Creaking Door, The Voice, the um, television did that, comic books did that, they had horror hosts. But um, people were 
the, the radio series then based on, on this became very popular. And people began to ask for the magazine with the shadow in it. So, not being any dummies, the publishers at Street and Smith basically uh, decided that maybe they should create a character called The Shadow. And they asked a fellow named Walter B. Gibson to write uh, the first uh, Shadow novels. And um, now, let me backtrack to my own uh, sordid past when I was 14 and I'm reading these reprints of the novels from these pulps, uh, these shadow novels written by Maxwell Grant and while a student of magic and studying magic and spending all of my paper route money on magic tricks and books and this kind of thing, I quickly uncovered the secret that Maxwell Grant was in fact... Walter Gibson, who was, so it was a pen name, and he was writing these shadow books. And why this was a happy little accident for me to discover when I'm a 14-year-old magician is that I had been reading Walter B. Gibson, because Walter Gibson, whose pen name to write the shadow novels is Maxwell Grant, Gibson wrote a series of books on magic and about Harry Houdini. And as an aspiring student magician, I had already collected and read a lot of these. And so in my child brain, it sort of wonderfully opened up these two colliding worlds that someone who can be writing about the history of magic and about magic can also be writing fiction and um, particularly the shadow and this is then where the radio show comes from. Um, the, the radio show is very different from the books. Uh, in the books, the shadow, his name is Kent Allard. And he, um, there is a character called Lamont Cranston. Uh, and he uh, uses that fellow as an alias once or twice. But in radio, um, it is... Strictly Lamont Cranston. So many, many people who only know the shadow from the radio shows uh, know of M M uh, Lamont Cranston. And they also know of his somewhat mysterious, uh, well, his, his gal Friday, Margot Lane. And Margot Lane was, in, it was created completely for the, um, for the radio series. She is only introduced into the novels uh, later, as she becomes very, very popular. And uh, fans being what fans are, well, of course, there was some outcry about that, that, that the novels would start to absorb the things created from the radio series. But um, it was for the best, I think. Uh, they, had to, uh, they only had 30 minutes, and they had to come up with stories and only a few characters. So the entire supporting cast that supports Ken Allard slash Lamont Cranston, the shadow in the novels, um, really gets whittled down to almost nothing. And you, you almost never, they make almost no appearances in the radio series. But um, this eventually led to, of course, the first full-blown official shadow radio show. And um, the wonderful thing about it is, is that... Um, they hired, uh, Street and Smith hired David Crisman and Bill Sweets to adapt uh, uh, these stories to, um, to radio. And um, basically, the, um, 
the uh, Street and Smith got sponsoring from a coal company, a Pennsylvania coal company called Blue Coal. And um, Walter Gibson teamed up with a scriptwriter named Edward Hale Bierstadt to develop the series that would be, in fact, The Shadow with the character of The Shadow. And uh, he makes his debut in September of 1937 on the Mutual Broadcasting System. And uh, again, for me, as, a, as a, a film nut and a great fan of Orson Welles, the star who played Lamont Cranston, wealthy man, a young man about town and uh, alias The Shadow, was 22-year-old, 22-year-old Orson Welles. Uh, and as I pointed out at the beginning of the show, Wells didn't speak the opening who knows what evil lurks in the hearts of men. That was, uh, that was Frank Reddick, a, a radio announcer, who did that, and, and that stuck. The first episode that you're going to hear is um, from 1937. And uh, it is, it's an interesting episode in that the... Um, basic elements, and you have to introduce the characters. And uh, basically, it's all sort of sketched in very quickly uh, with uh, Lamont Cranston and Margot Lane, who is voiced by Agnes Moorhead, by the way, in kind of filling the listener in who may not have read The Pulps um, and the emergence of this full-blown character called, uh, called The Shadow. So, uh, without further ado, um, here is the very first broadcast from 1937, introducing The Shadow. The Shadow, a man of mystery who strikes terror in the very souls of sharpsters, lawbreakers, and criminals. All signs point to a severe winter. Be prepared. If you want to be sure of even, dependable, healthful heat in any kind of weather, insist on blue coal. America's finest anthracite mined from the fields of northern Pennsylvania. The coal that has colored a harmless blue at the mines for your protection. Sit down. 
I told Albold to serve our coffee here in the library. I should rather go on the terrace. No, I prefer it here. Then I see you smile. That frown is most unbecoming. Lamont, give it up. Give what up, my dear? Drinking coffee? I'm serious, Lamont Cranston. When I foolishly let you know that... Do you remember what you said? It will be exactly five years next week. But there's still so much to do, Margot. Well, then let somebody else do it. Don't you realize that you can't keep on like this forever? Someone's certain to identify you, and when that someone does, someone else is certain to kill you. Perhaps, but until they do... Oh, darling, stop frowning. I don't mean necessarily to give up your work, Lamont, but this other... Let the shadow just disappear and, and come out openly. You and the organized forces of law and police. Won't you realize, Margot, that my entire usefulness to the organized forces of law and police lies in my remaining outside those forces, in remaining always the shadow... Would they approve my methods? Would they believe in my science? You would make them believe. You could make them approve. And in doing so, reveal my secrets, my knowledge. Reveal them and eventually let them fall into the hands of organized crime. <laughs> no, Margot. No one must ever know. No one but you. Why do you think I've devoted countless hours to investigating electrical and chemical phenomena? Why do you think I went to India, to, to Egypt, to China? What do you think I studied in London, Paris, and Vienna? except to learn the old mysteries that modern science has not yet rediscovered. The natural magic modern psychology is beginning to understand, and, well, magic that wouldn't seem so natural. I studied and learned for a purpose, my dear. All right, Lamont, I, I realize all that. But now, now the entire underworld has but one objective, to erase the shadow. And to me, that means... Until they know what the shadow is and who he is, what can they do? Stop and think how many criminals are either dead or in prison because of our activities. Why, even now, tonight, as we sit quietly here, somewhere an innocent human being may be in desperate trouble. Somewhere, perhaps, there is a problem that can never be solved, except... By the shadow. What did the doctor say, Grace? It was good news and, and bad, too, I'm afraid, dear. Well, whatever it was, dear, tell me. Well, he said the baby could be perfectly well again within a year. Oh, thank God for that. Poor kid. She's had a tough time. Well, what else? Well, this part isn't so good, Paul. She'll need treatments during all that time. Paul, treatments cost money. I know. Well, we'll have to manage somehow. You didn't do a very good job marrying me, dear. Darling. If I could only get a job. I've got my health and I've got brains. But no one seems to want them. Oh, they will, dear. They, they've got to. You're right about that. We're just about down to rock bottom. I raised every cent I can on the house and car. There isn't anything left. You and I are still left, Paul. And we've got to take care of Sally. She's our daughter, Paul, and she's got to have her chance. And she's going to have it. Somehow. Tomorrow I'll start out and take anything I can get. Darling, perhaps tomorrow things will break for us. Yes. If only they don't break the wrong way. Excuse me, but 
Are you the boss here? That's right. I'm looking for a job. Nothing doing, buddy. I'll do anything. Wait on table, wash dishes, anything at all. I don't need any more help. Well, how about delivering things? I've got a car. Nope. I don't deliver nothing. I'm sorry, I don't need you. I see. All right. Thanks. Hey. Hey, you. What? You calling to me? Yeah, sit down. Have a beer. No, thanks. I, I don't drink. Anyhow, sit down. I need a friend of mine named Lefty. My name's Red. <laughs> Look at my hair and you'll know why. Well, I'm glad to meet you both. Gordon's my name. Paul Gordon. Well, do you want to talk to me about something? We might. Might be able to help you out. Sounds like you're looking for a job. You bet I am. I need one. You know anybody that could use me? Maybe. We don't know you yet. So far as that goes, I don't know you either. See, Red, the guy's smart. Yeah, maybe too smart. Now, look here, Mr. Gordon. We need a car. We need somebody to drive it for us. You understand? Well, I've got a car, and I can drive. Is it a good car? Has it got speed? I guarantee you up to 80. It's not bad. It's not bad. Now, listen, kid. How about meeting us tomorrow morning at 9 o'clock? All right. Where? Well, let's see. Uh, we're going to... Um... I got it. Right in front of the Uptown Bank. We gotta go there first to cash a check. Well, how about five dollars a day? That's so. But you'll remember, be there at nine o'clock, or you don't get no job. <laughs> don't worry, I'll be there. I'll be there at eight o'clock. Hey, buddy, you can't keep this car in front of the bank all day. I just see that sign, no parking. I'm not parking, officer. I'm waiting for a couple of men. I'm working for them. Oh. Hey, what's that? Sounds like shot in the back. Hey, You got him, Lefty. Here he is in the car. Come on, you stop that bus for Step on it, fella. Hey, but you can't do that. God, I will shoot. Let him have it, Red. Hold him off. I'll hold him. Wish I'd never have shot that cut. Can't you get no more speed out of this car, fella? She's doing all she can. Shoot at that tires, Red. Uh, I missed him. Play the windshield. Say, let me out of this. Take the car. Don't think I'm in with you. That's just what we're figuring on. Now, here comes the curve. After you make that stop. Get ready, Red. I'm ready. I'm just leaving the evidence. Put it under the seat cushion. Okay. Okay. Goodbye, Gordon. Thanks for the... Hey. Hey, wait, you guys. Don't leave me like this. They'll think I did it. Hey, come on back, will you? Up with your hands. Come on, get him up. All right, officer. I haven't got a gun. I wasn't in this. They made me drive the car. Yeah, keep your hands up just the same. I'll throw the car, Charlie. Okay, Sarge. Now, fella, you might as well come clean on this. I haven't done anything. I tell you, I'm innocent. Hey, Sarge, I got it. Under the rear seat cushion. A bag full of bills and a gun. That's the gun that bumped off my buddy, Louie. And you say you're innocent. Yes, I am. Well, it'll take more than saying so to keep you out of the electric chair. Order in the court. Order in the court. Paul Gordon, the jury have found you guilty of robbery under arms and statutory murder. You have been shown you have had both motive and opportunity. The prosecution has piled up a mass of incontrovertible evidence. And I myself have no doubt of your guilt. Therefore, in accordance with the law, 
I direct that you be taken from here to the place from whence you came, and that there you be put to death in the manner stated by the law. And may God have mercy on your soul. <laughs> Who laughed? Bring that person before the cops. Well, I... I don't know where he is, Your Honor. The last came from over there. In that corner. Yes. Yes, Your Honor, but there's no one in that corner. Only a shadow. <laughs> Please, dear. Mother will be right here in the next room. Oh, God. Please help me. Help me. I don't know what to do. Yes? Who is it? My name is Margot Lane. I have a message for you, Mrs. Gordon. You're not a reporter, are you? No, I'm a friend. I've come to help. Oh, then please come in. What is it you want, Miss Lane? Mrs. Gordon... Your husband has a friend who's going to help him. Here's a thousand dollars in cash. That's for you and Sally. A thousand? Who was it sent this to me? Well, that I can't tell you. But the message with it is not to lose hope. Oh, but there is hope for Paul, then. The man who sent this to you never fails. Who is he? Well, that I can't tell you. But Miss Lane, you know him. Sometimes I wonder whether I do. I love him. But I wonder whether I know him. What do you mean? It's hard to tell whether I really know the man or only his shadow. Well, after the night, the fall guy goes to the chair. That's what he gets for being a sucker. Yeah, there's not a clue that even points our way. Not even a print. We had gloves on all the time. You had yours up for a minute when you were sitting next to him. Yeah, but uh, I didn't touch the wheel. Then we ain't left a clue. You think so? Who said that? You, Leffy? No, I, I thought it was you. It was I. You cannot see me. Who are you? And where are you? I am here in the room. In the shadow. You have pinned your crime on an innocent man. He shall not suffer, but you will. I don't know who you are, where you are, but you're bluffing anyway. You got no evidence. We didn't leave a clue. You did leave a clue. A clue that will send you to the chair. Where was it? Where was it? You're lying. <laughs> Wouldn't you like to believe that? Keep thinking about it. Keep thinking about it. The clue that you forgot. <laughs> Margot Lane. Paul Gordon is in the death house and is to die in the chair tonight. I am going to him now. We can still save him. Stand by. For orders. In a few moments, we will return to the shadow. But before we do, let me stress this one fact. For home heating, anthracite is best. And America's finest anthracite is blue cold. Anthracite is the healthful fuel. It gives steady, uniform heat that helps prevent colds and cuts down doctor's bills. 
For with anthracite, there is no quick chilling of the house, such as you get with fuels of the on and off type, or with quick burning fuels that flare up and burn out. Bear in mind that heating plants in this part of the country were especially designed to burn anthracite. So before that cold snap catches you unaware, call your local blue coal dealer. You'll find his name listed in the where to buy it section of your classified directory under the words blue coal. Call him tomorrow and order a supply of America's finest anthracite. any word from the governor? I'm sorry, Gordon. The governor refuses to take any action. Thanks. I've got to go. Tonight? At 11 o'clock. What? What time is it now? Almost 10. Is there anything I can do for you? No. Thank you, Gordon. Very well. These guards will move you to another cell. I'll be back in a little while. Ready, Gordon? Yes, Scott. We're just going to move you to another cell. <laughs> what does it matter? The one you're going to is nearer. <laughs> nearer to the chair, is that it? <laughs> All right. Let's go. All right, Gordon. Walk to the left. We'll be right here behind you. Unlock the door into this preparation chamber, Pete. Okay. Just a second. All right. Go on through, Gordon. Watch him, Pete. I'll shut the door. What's the use of all this trouble? What chance have I got now? I'm afraid you haven't got much, fella. Uh, I wouldn't say that. What do you mean? Holy smokes. Look behind you. Where? There. Oh. Too bad. I hated to do that, but there wasn't any other way, and he'll only be out for a while. Now, Gordon, listen to me. Hey. Where are you? I can't see you anymore. Where have you gone? Back into the shadow. Now, Gordon... We haven't much time. Listen to me. No crime is perfect. There's always somewhere a loose end. The only reason that all crimes aren't solved is because there's some one fact that someone knows and doesn't tell. And sometimes they don't tell because they don't know that they know. I told everything I know in court. You wouldn't believe me then. Because you couldn't prove what you said. We are going after the proof now. You and I. How? I'm going to think with your mind. I don't know what you mean. Don't try to understand. Just do as I tell you. I want you to concentrate, Gordon. Fix your mind on everything that happened that day. Make mental pictures. I'll see what you see. I'll try now. No. No, Gordon. Stop thinking about your wife and baby. How did you know I was thinking about I that? I saw it in your mind. I see in my mind the pictures you create in yours. Oh. Like television? Yes. 
Or like mental telepathy or mind reading, hypnotism, whatever you choose. There's no time to talk. Stop talking. Think. I will. I will. I'm thinking now. The picture is getting clearer. That's better. Go on. The restaurant? The bar? Gordon, stop thinking about the electric chair. It blurs the picture. I'll try. I'll try. Ah. That's better. The car. In front of the bank. Yes. I see it. The policeman. The crowd. Yes. Wait a minute. The small man with red hair. He was the one you called Red. Yes. Yes. I see him. Crooked nose. Short. Glasses. I know that man. He's Red Sloan. I... I... It's hard to see. I know. Think for your life. Try hard. Yes. You started the car. The other, Lefty, was in front with you. Lefty. Lefty. See him for me, Gordon. Ah, yes. A scar on his left cheek. Why didn't you mention that in court? I, I forgot. Never mind. Concentrate. Yes. Lefty couldn't keep you covered with a gun and look back at the same time. What did he do? He reached up and twisted the rear view mirror. Now we've got it. That's the loose end. That's where his thumbprint will be. Gordon, now I can save you. You've told the truth. You didn't know you knew. Come on, Dan. In that one over here. Right, you're a fool for coming in here again. This is the fight we picked up that kid that's burning tonight. What do you want to come in here for? This is as good a place as any, ain't it? Hey, telephone for you, Lefty. Telephone? Yeah. Maybe you never heard of it, but it's a great invention. But nobody knows I'm here. Well, somebody knows because they're waiting on the phone for you. It's over there on the wall. Okay. Don't be too long, Lefty. Hello? <laughs> Say, what are you laughing at? Who is this? Lefty. Did you ever hear of the shadow? Yeah. Say, what is this? Too bad about young Gordon, isn't it, Lefty? What do you know about that? The shadow knows. Who are you? What do you want? I want justice. Justice for Paul Gordon, Lefty. And I'm going to get it. But you ain't got no evidence. No. Perhaps there are some fingerprints, Lefty. Oh, no. We had gloves on. There couldn't be no fingerprints. Did you have gloves on? Time? Yeah, sure. I did. You're left-handed. Now listen carefully, Lefty. When you were sitting in the front seat of Gordon's car, your gun was in your left hand. Remember? Say, you ain't nobody, I. It's just, say, 
How do you know? What did you do with your right hand? My right hand? You took off your right glove, didn't you? No, I didn't. I didn't. Oh, gosh, I'm going nuts. And you couldn't see the car that was chasing you because the angle of the rearview mirror was adjusted for the driver and you weren't driving, so... Do you remember what you did? No, no, I didn't. I didn't take it off. Are you sure you didn't reach up with your bare right hand and turn that rearview mirror? Are you sure, Lefty? No, no, I didn't. I didn't. Maybe I did that. If the police find that fingerprint, you'll burn, Lefty. Just the way young Gordon's going to burn tonight. Goodbye, Lefty. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Wait a minute. He hung up. No. No. I won't burn. Hey, Red. Red. It's set me dead long enough. Say, who was the guy? Never mind that. Where's that car of Gordon's now? In his garage. I guess I heard his wife. Listen. What? I got a hunch. There's some fingerprints of mine in that car. Red, we gotta wipe them off of there, or maybe we'll burn in that chair, too. Come on, let's go. But, Commissioner. I'm sorry, Miss Lane, but I don't see what we can do. But I tell you, Paul Gordon is innocent. The men who committed the crime are free. Where did you get this information? Oh, that I can't tell you. Uh, Miss Lane, Paul Gordon was convicted of murder by due processes of law. Tonight he pays for his crime in the electric chair. If the police listened to every crank who came in here claiming new evidence... But they can't send an innocent man to the chair. They can't do it. No, but they can send a guilty man. And according to the evidence, Paul Gordon is guilty. Commissioner, suppose that afterwards, when it's too late, they discover that Paul Gordon wasn't guilty after all. And suppose I testify that the police refused to listen. Well, what do you want me to do? If it's within reason, I'll do that. I want you to send some men to that garage. I want you to catch the guilty man and see that justice is done. I'm frightened. Brace up, Gordon. It won't be long. Get your chin up, buddy. My turn next. So long, fella. Good luck. Goodbye, kid. Where is he? He promised to save me. Who, son? I don't know. It was a voice. Just a voice. He... He said he'd stand by. Now, steady, old man. Don't lose your nerve, Gordon. Open it up, man. No. Oh, God, we'll go in there. I didn't do it. I didn't kill him. I didn't, I tell you. He said he'd stand by. He's walking away. Only a few minutes more. Just a few minutes. Don't take me in there yet. Now, no, wait. Please, please. He said, please wait. Easy, Gordon. I'm sorry. If we go on that door, I'm gone. It'll be too late then. Take him in, man. No, 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 wait. Oh, where are you? Where's that voice? Where did he go? Please come back. Warden. Warden. Wait a minute, man. Well, what is it? Warden, wait. The governor's on the phone. He says stop. Hold up everything. What's the governor say? He wants to talk to you on the phone, Warden. He says don't electrocute this man. They've got the other two guys in Gordon's garage trying to rub out some fingerprints. One of them was shot and died. But before he died, he spilled it all. This fellow didn't do it. It was a frame-up. Oh, thank God he got me in time. Gordon. Gordon. Did you hear that? Yes. Yes, I heard it. That voice said he would. I'm free. 
You're not going to electrocute me, Gordon. You're not. No. No, Gordon. The governor saved you. Governor? No. It wasn't the governor. It was somebody else. Or something else. But what do you mean, Gordon? Who saved you? I don't know. It was a voice. Just a voice. I never really saw him. He was only a shadow. Before another adventure with the shadow draws to a close, John Barclay, Blue Coal's heating expert, would like to say a few words. Mr. Barclay. Good evening, friends. If you're interested in having a more comfortable home this winter, be sure to call your local Blue Coal dealer. For he's more than a fuel dealer. He's an authority on modern home heating. You see, for more than six years, I've trained servicemen for these Blue Coal dealers. These men, known as John Barclay servicemen, have added thousands of families like yours to enjoy a greater degree of comfort and to save heating dollars, too. I'm going to read part of a letter typical of many received from satisfied customers using Blue Coal and John Barclay service. I quote in part, The service rendered by your John Barclay servicemen has been invaluable to me. We were burning a ton of coal a week and having great difficulty in keeping our fire going throughout the night. Your serviceman made me many helpful suggestions regarding the proper way to regulate the furnace and recommended the use of blue coal. We not only reduced the amount of fuel consumed to one half, but actually got more heat. Think of that, friends. In this case, a family cut their fuel bill in half simply by following the advice of a John Barclay serviceman whose services were given without charge. Now, you don't have to buy blue coal to benefit from John Barclay service. No matter what kind of fuel you're using or from whom you've been buying, if you have any heating problems, consult the blue coal dealer. He'll be very glad to place his John Barclay service man at your disposal to solve your problems. I thank you. The story you have just heard is copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. Real names are never used in these shadow stories. <laughs> the weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> Well, that was from September 26, 1937. Orson Welles and Agnes Moorhead in the premiere episode of The Shadow, the episode entitled The Death House Rescue. And of course, anything this popular in print and in radio is going to, um, is going to prompt Hollywood 
to make movies. And um, I dare say that the first films, uh, The Shadow Strikes in 1937, if you're a real Shadow fan, the film is, well, it's very disappointing. It really isn't The Shadow. And in 1940, uh, Columbia, Columbia Pictures put out a serial, a 15-chapter serial in the cinemas, called The Shadow, and again, they, they, I, don't understand, I don't understand quite why um, they um, don't follow <laughs> the source material. This seems to be an age-old fan uh, problem as, as to why can't they follow, keep what's good and just avoid what's bad, but no, they don't. And... Uh, in the late 20th century, there is a film that not too many people know about. It didn't really do too well at the box office. In 1994, um, there was a film called The Shadow that starred Alec Baldwin as Lamont Cranston and Penelope Ann Miller as Margot Lane. And um, it is quite a wonderful film, and they do some marvelous, marvelous things. The Shadow himself is very, very well realized. Um, however, this was a strange time in the 90s for certain kinds of superhero or action films of this kind. It didn't do really that well. And uh, in hindsight, if you were to look at it today, it might remind you of the second Christopher Nolan Batman film in some ways. Because all of these writers in the 70s and the 80s, as they kept writing shadow stories and Batman stories... Well, they kept borrowing ideas from each other and thinly disguising characters. Um, it's kind of obvious to kind of trace where certain villains and where certain heroes are learning how to be heroic and, and to do their near supernatural powers and where they're coming from. But I like the 1994 film with... Uh, Alec Baldwin, The Shadow. And if you get a chance, if you can find a copy, take a look at it. By the way, I want to thank you for subscribing to our podcasts. I hope you're enjoying them. We have an eclectic uh, mix of things coming up. Um, oh, and by the way, uh, speaking of watching a film, um, I've had this idea for many, many years uh, that um, I would love to do with the character of The Shadow. And um, I first thought of this as I was watching a lot of the great great drama that was coming out of early HBO, which of course included The Sopranos and um, Deadwood. I said, my God, what you could do with certain properties today. And imagine a series, The Shadow, and the underpinning of it, you treated it very much like uh, perhaps the idea of Mission Impossible, where the shadow's agents are on the case and working, and you, you keep the shadow truly mysterious. You don't bring him flesh and blood to the surface. You're able to play with things, with the sound of his voice, and with computer-generated computer -generated imagery. You're, you're playing with his, his so-called invisibility in a room and that kind of thing, making him a much more terrifying creature and really play the mystery. Is he indeed Lamont Cranston? I think you can get away with that. And, of course, with the rise of Netflix, well, if anyone from Netflix is listening to this, give me a call. When we come back... When we come back, 
Um, we'll have old-time radio historian and author Martin Grahams Jr. introduce another thrilling adventure of The Shadow. Now available from Redfield Arts Audio. London at Christmas time. I had called upon my friend Sherlock Holmes upon the second morning after Christmas. Sherlock Holmes and the Blue Carbuncle. Adapted from the story by Sir Arthur Conan Doyle. You, sir, what do you want? You will excuse me, but I could not help overhearing the questions which you put to the salesman just now. I think that I could be of assistance to you. How could you know anything of the matter? My name is Sherlock Holmes, and it is my business to know what other people don't know. You know nothing about Starring Mark Redfield as Sherlock Holmes and J.R. Liston as Dr. Watson. Available now on Audible and other online audio retailers. And here's to a happy new year, my old friend. You're listening to Redfield Arts Audio. And now, Old Time Radio Revisited with Martin Grams Jr. The supernatural sleuth with a menacing chuckle has become synonymous with the phrase old-time radio, but frequent radio listeners knew him as Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. Years prior, Cranston learned the strange and hypnotic secret how to cloud men's minds so they could not see him. As an invisible avenger, the shadow acted like a guilty conscience, a ghost-like voice of fear aroused in the minds of evildoers, criminals who accidentally exposed their own villainy or destroyed themselves after suffering a mental breakdown. Never committing cold-blooded murder for the sake of justice, the Shadow suffered a harrowing existence of close calls and death-defying challenges. His exploits were many, a career paced by chase and gunplay. Werewolves, vampires, psychotic murderers, gangsters, and mad scientists, he battled them all. The Shadow was aided by his girlfriend, the lovely Margot Lane, the only other person who knew his secret. The female element added suspense to the stories when she would often be captured by the villain and needed rescue by the shadow, facing some sort of death trap. The program left an impression on adults who enjoyed reading the pulp magazines and on young children who listened to the weekly chillers. But the shadow actually began on radio in 1930, not as a crime fighter, but as a host of a weekly series of bone-chilling murder plays. Street and Smith, a publishing company in New York City, licensed the rights to a bunch of short stories from their detective story magazine for use on the program. And it did not take long for them to discover that people were asking at the newsstands not for detective story magazine, but for the shadow magazine. So they hired a man named Walter Gibson, who was hired to write the shadow novels, and the magazine was born. Years later, in 1937, under the guise of Orson Welles, the program changed to the crime fighter format we know today. A whole generation of youngsters tuned in every Sunday afternoon to listen to the spooky stories, including Isaac Asimov, who recounted in his autobiography, filching the exciting yarns of the Shadow Pulp magazine from his sleeping father, and then replacing the magazine before he woke. Dick Ayers, creator of the Ghost Rider comic books, admitted years later that he was blending euthanisms in his interpretation of the Ghost Rider's speech, mimicking the style of the Shadow, because he was a fan of the radio program. Science fiction author Alfred Bester wrote a number of radio scripts for the series and years later adapted one of them into a science fiction novel, The Demolished Man, and ended up winning a Hugo Award as a result. The Shadow was never among the highest rated programs of the time, as much as we'd like to look back at the show now, but reruns on local radio stations across the country during the 1970s, courtesy of syndication packages, revived interest and boosted the program's popularity to a generation that today still enjoying the creepy crime fighter. 
Here, you're going to listen to an episode titled Murder from the Grave. It's about a master criminal who kills a scientist and steals a top-secret serum that's capable of bringing the dead to life. And using this serum, the criminal revives dead bodies of numerous gangsters and forms an unstoppable gang of ghouls from the evening of April 6, 1941. of the shadow are on the air. These dramatizations are designed to demonstrate forcibly to old and young alike that crime does not pay. The shadow, mysterious character who aids the forces of law and order, is in reality Lamont Cranston, wealthy young man about town. As the shadow, Cranston is gifted with hypnotic power to cloud men's minds so that they cannot see him. Cranston's friend and companion, the lovely Margot Lane, is the only person who knows to whom the voice of the invisible shadow belongs. Today's drama, one of the shadow's most thrilling adventures, Murder from the Grave. That's him there, walking towards the corner. Yeah. Pulling closer to the curb. Okay, okay. Wait, we're right beside him, see? Yeah, I know. All right. Let him have it. Yeah. They did a pretty complete job, officer. Yeah, he must have stopped every slug they threw at him. He's still breathing, though, and I don't know why. Well, we better get him to the hospital at once. Here, give me a hand with him, will you? Okay, but it looks to me like a waste of time. Well, what's the story, Doc? DOA, officer. Dead on arrival. Yeah, I figured that. Well, better make out any part. You want to send him to the city morgue or hold him here at the hospital? I'll check headquarters and find out. Yes, gangster, isn't he? Might say so. Do you recognize him at all? Now, how can I answer that? The guy ain't got hardly no face left, has he? Uh, good evening, Dr. Henry. Oh, hello, Dr. Metzger. What brings you down here to the receiving room? Uh, just keeping in touch with the activities of the hospital. Well, what have you there? A gang shooting, Doctor. He seems to be well perforated. Yes, especially the face. It's been just about shot away. Yes, so I see. He darted up to the hospital. So, uh, mind if I have a look at him? No, Doctor. No, go ahead. I'm going to use your phone, Doc. I'll be right back. All right, officer. Dr. Henry. Yes? Did I understand you to say that you have pronounced this man dead? Why, why yes, Doctor. I'm afraid you were mistaken. What? This man is still alive. Well, Dr. Metzger, I couldn't feel any pulse. Uh, no heartbeat. You, he I... is alive. Ring for the elevator. But, but Doctor, I tell I you say, I... this man is to be brought to my laboratory. Hurry, Doctor. There's no time to lose. Dr. Henry speaking. Hello, this is Dr. Metzger. Oh, yes, Doctor. That patient, man who was brought to my laboratory, is alive and can be saved. Why, why that's unbelievable, Doctor. Nevertheless, it is true. What, what about his face? His face has been shot away. I intend to give him a new face. Now, listen to me, Dr. Henry. I want a general order given to all in the hospital. 
that I am not to be disturbed for the next six weeks. Uh, yes, sir. All of my meals and any surgical instruments or supplies that I might need are to be left outside of my door for that period. You understand? Uh, yes, Dr. Metzger. I... If these orders are carried out, I can tell you now, Henry, that in six weeks' time, I will bring forth a man who is whole again. <laughs> Doggone it, Jack. I just can't help it. Old man, curiosity is getting the better of him. And you've got to find out what goes on in Metzger's laboratory. Is that it? Yes. <laughs> He's been in there almost six weeks now, Jack. Imagine almost six weeks without telling anyone how his experiment is progressing. Say, does anyone even know if the patient is still alive? Yes, we do know that much. Metzger sent word to that effect to Doc Hawkins yesterday. <laughs> Look, Sherlock, how do you plan to get into the laboratory? Well, when Metzger opens the door for this tray of food, uh -huh. I'll just walk in with him, that's all. Good luck. Yes, I'll need it. Uh, knock on the door for me, will you? Sure. Hmm? Who is there? Your food tray, Dr. Metzger. Oh, thank you. Uh, where do you want me to uh, put... Uh, one moment. You believe the tray with me, Dr. Henry? Well, I was just going you to put... You were just going to try to gain entrance to my laboratory. <laughs> I'm aware of your intense curiosity, Henry. A curiosity that is shared by everyone else in this hospital. Ah, well, you can tell them all for me that my experiment is nearing completion. Very well, Doctor. If they wish, if they wish, they may come here to my laboratory tomorrow at noon. And I shall reveal to them my finished product. I don't know what we're waiting for. Uh, Dr. Metzger asked us all to be here at noon today. It's now quarter after. I, for one, see no reason for waiting around any longer. You're right, Henry. Well, what do we do? Well, we'll let them know we're here. Dr. Metzger. Dr. Metzger. Why doesn't he answer? Well, there's only one way to find that out. Let's start trying to get in. The door isn't locked. I'll go look for him. Uh, Dr. Metzger. Dr. Metzger. He must be in there. He's not out here. Come here, all of you. What, oh, what is it? Look. Look, there on the floor. Oh, hold. It's Metzger. He's dead. Yes. And it looks like murder. His face has been slashed. Look, here on the floor. A broken mirror. Where's the patient? The man he was working on. There was no one else in this room when I came in. Well, then he's gone. Yes. But not before he murdered Dr. Metzger. And since that time, Lamont, the police have learned nothing. Well, that's understandable, Dr. Hawkins. They really have nothing to work on. You have no idea what this Mr. X looks like, have you, Dr. Hawkins? No, we haven't, Margot. Dr. Metzger did a plastic job on his face, changed it completely. That's all we know. Well, it's been 24 hours since the killing. The man has had ample time to get away and cover up his tracks. Yes. I don't see how Lamont can do any more than the police have done, Doctor. Uh, I didn't ask Lamont to come here for that purpose, Margot. Oh, no? No, I... Well... I discovered something in Dr. Metzger's laboratory that I haven't even told the police about. Well, why not? Because it's something too fantastic for them to believe. Well, what is it, Doctor? Metzger's personal notebook, in which he recorded the progress of his experiment. I have it right here. Well, what does this notebook contain? Well, the first entry was written the night the patient arrived in the hospital. Dr. Metzger wrote in the notebook at that time... Tonight, I have at last been given the opportunity that I have been so patiently waiting for. The perfect subject for my experiment is at this very moment lying on a table before me. I have given him the first injection of the solution. The reaction was most successful. Now the real work begins. What does all that mean, Dr. Hawkins? You'll learn later, Lamont. 
just as I learned as I read further into the notes. The next entry of any importance came a week later. At that time, the doctor wrote, Everything is progressing satisfactorily. Today, the patient has sufficient strength for me to begin the plastic work. I have found that best results can be obtained by giving injections of the solution every 24 hours. This is most important. Any period of time beyond this is dangerous. Well, what is the solution that he keeps talking about? I'm coming to that, Margot. I'll skip over the entries that follow. They deal mainly with a growing conflict between the patient and Metzger. A note of regret creeps into his writing. You sense that he's almost sorry for the work that he's done. Eventually, this conflict claims to open hatred. And in the last entry, written the night before he died, Dr. Metzger wrote... May heaven have mercy on me for ever conceiving this work that I have done. The patient has now reverted to the vicious being that he has always been. Instead of having gratitude for what I have done, he shows only resentment. Tomorrow morning, I shall remove the bandages that cover his face. He has threatened me that if he is not pleased with my work, dire consequences will result. This, then, is the fruit of my labor. This is the price I pay for my great discovery. My discovery of a solution that literally brought a dead man back to life again. A solution which... So that's it. That was the secret solution. Yes. But that's unbelievable, Dr. Hawkins. A solution that brings the dead back to life? Metzger was a great scientist. Nothing was impossible to him. Well, where is the solution now? I couldn't find it. I've searched everywhere in the laboratory. Then it's evident that the patient, knowing about it, took it with him. I'm afraid so. Well, I'd say you had good cause for alarm, Doctor. This killer who is now at large is a man returned from the dead. A man without a soul. Yes, that's true. But uh, tell me, Lamont, have you gotten any clues from what you've just learned? Only one. The broken mirror that was found near the doctor's body. Obviously, this mirror must have been shattered by the missing man. Why do you say that? He must have broken it in rage when he first saw his new face. Metzger must have made him sufficiently horrible to bring on this range. So we have only one clue to work on. A man with an incredibly ugly face. Dr. Hawkins! Dr. Hawkins! What is it? What is it? Come in. Dr. Hawkins, something terrible has happened. Yeah, what's wrong? In the morgue. The hospital morgue, just a few minutes ago. Yes, what happened? A man with a gun came in. Forced me to take one of the bodies. A dead body out to a car. What? I had to obey. Why didn't you call out for help? I I was about to until I saw his face. His face, Dr. Hawkins. It was the most frightening thing I've ever seen. It wasn't human. Doctor, I'd say our killer has made his first move. And I fear that it won't be his last. <laughs> While waiting for the curtain to rise in Act Two of Murder from the Grave, I want to ask you something. When the summer months come, what are you going to do for a supply of hot water? Would you be able to have all the hot water you want, when you want it? And will it be available at a cost within your budget? This is an important problem in many homes. That's why today, the Blue Coal Dealers of America are offering the latest in low-cost hot water heating equipment. They've given you the Blue Coal Automatic Heat Regulator. They've given you the John Barclay Home Heating Service. And now, in 1941, the same blue coal dealers bring you the equipment that provides all the low-cost hot water you want. 
Yes, the new Blue Coal Deluxe Water Heater that works automatically gives you more clean hot water than you can use. Think of it. Now, at last, you can have an abundant supply of clean hot water heated at just the right temperature and whenever you want it, all summer long. Phone your neighborhood dealer tomorrow and ask him about this new Blue Coal Deluxe Water Heater. Remember, it will pay for itself in savings over the usual cost of summer hot water. And remember, too, when it comes to keeping your home warm and comfortable, there's no other fuel like blue coal. Give your dealer a call in the morning. His name is listed in the where to buy it section of your classified telephone directory under the words blue coal. Put the stick in the car. Yes, sir. We're getting to be regular customers, ain't we? Why do you do this? Why do you want these bodies? You'll find out. Everybody will find out very soon. This ain't our last visit to you, Mr. Markeeper. Uh, you'll be seeing us again. No, no, you'll get me into trouble. Shut up. All right, Eddie, step on the gas. Let's get out of here. Entry, entry, another gangster's bunny kidnapped from the That particular pendant will cost you $2,000. Oh, I there see. There we are. Wally up. This is stick up. Oh. Uh, what do you want with that? We can't get away with this. No. Just watch us. Grab them rings, Eddie. Hi. Phil, take that tray of bracelets. Okay. Ah, that's all we need here. Wait a minute, boys. Before we blow, we ought to let the folks have a look at us for purposes of identification. Take off your mask, boys. Oh, no. They're not you. Oh, how horrible. We ain't very pretty, are we? Well, nobody is. Once they've been dead. Look, only three guards for a payroll over a hundred grand. Cut off, Eddie. Squeeze him into the curb. Right. Good work. Come on, boys. What do you guys think you're trying to do? You'll find out soon enough, Buster. You men stand where you are. They've got a Tommy gun here. Go ahead and use it, brother. Go ahead. All right. You ask, boy. Don't you know better than to shoot at a mob that's already been dead? <laughs> Let them have it, boys. Margot, the entire city has been terrorized by this mob of, well, ghouls. That's all you can call them. Lamont, do you honestly believe that this gang consists of the dead men who were kidnapped from the different morgues? Yes, Margot. There's no doubt of it. They've been sustained by Dr. Metzger's life-giving solution. Oh, how horrible. And so far, no one has been able to learn just where this gang is hiding out. Well, what can be done, Lamont? Well, one of the mob was captured by the police this afternoon. They've got him in the city jail. Did he reveal anything? No, he refused to talk. That is, to the police. But I have an idea that I might be able to get something from him. I think I know what you mean, Lamont. I think you do. I'm paying a little visit to his cell. As the shadow. Why don't they come for me? They know the cops have got me. Why don't they come? <laughs> what was that? So, your friends have deserted you, eh? Who's talking to me? I must be getting stir-crazy. I don't see nobody. You're not stir-crazy. I've merely made myself invisible to you. You? Made yourself invisible? Oh. I get it. The shadow's paying me a visit. That's quite correct. 
What are you doing here? I've come to talk to you, to learn something about you and your companions. Save your talk. I ain't saying nothing. I know the horrible secret that you and your gang possess. The power that you have to bring life to the bodies of those already dead. How'd you learn? <laughs> Where'd you ever dream up an idea like that? I followed the activities of your leader from the day he killed Dr. Metzger and stole the life-giving solution. I don't know what you're talking about. Yes, you do. You're being foolish enough to remain loyal to your mob after they've deserted you. That ain't true. Then why haven't they tried to get you out of this jail? Certainly they must know that you'll soon need another injection of the serum. What? What are you talking about? I learned from Dr. Metzger's own journal that the life-giving solution must be injected every 24 hours. To go beyond this period without it means a return to the dead. No. No, you're just trying to scare me. How long has it been since you received your last treatment? Yesterday. Just about this time. Then its effect should be wearing off right now. We must act quickly. Tell me where the hideout is. And after dealing with your friends, I promise to bring back enough of the serum to keep you alive. Uh, are you sure you ain't handing me no line? I swear it. Now, tell me the secret hiding place and just how many men there are. Okay. Okay. About the men... The boss has only two henchmen left now. Phil and Marty. It's been getting harder to make snatches from the morgue. And besides, the boss don't want to waste the serum on us dead ones anyway. Only two days ago, he let one of the boys go back to the grave without a shot from the hypo. Believe me, Shadow, his face wasn't pretty to see. Quickly now. Where's the hideout? Hideout. Well, it's... Hey, what's happening to me? I... Got a funny feeling in my head. Quickly, man, quickly. My buzzing. Tell me where the hideout is. It's... It's... How much better for them to have left you untouched after death had claimed you the first time. Margot, we're certain of one thing. What's that, Lamont? That our Mr. X, having built up his mob from the remains of notorious gangsters, is now finding it difficult to get bodies of gangsters who, before they died, knew their trade. Correct. Also, he's obviously running low on Dr. Metzger's solution. He's letting his lesser helpers die without giving them injections. Correct again. Well, then, here's my plan. I'm going to ask Commissioner Weston to plant a story in all the newspapers that our notorious out-of-town gang leader, Dutch Carson has just been killed by the police. Who's Dutch Carson, Lamont? A Middle Western mobster who dropped out of sight about a year ago. Well, why are you doing all this? To attract the attention of Mr. X. Then I shall arrange with the commissioner to be taken to the city morgue and be placed on a slab as the body of the dead Dutch Carson. And unless I'm badly mistaken, Margot, within 24 hours, the three missing ghouls will be back in their graves, and this time for good. You ready to stretch out on the slab, Mr. Cranston? All right, Tom. (laughs) 
You know, you're the first live stiff I ever had in here. <laughs> well, I hope I remain that way. Yeah. And will you cover me over with a sheet, please? Yeah, uh, sure. Hey, what's going to happen when these fellas find out you ain't a dead one, much less the missing Dutch Carson? <laughs> well, not Tom. Huh? It's something I'd rather worry about when it happens, if you don't mind. Well, yeah, I'm here to tell you I wouldn't touch your That's job. Quiet. Huh? I hear footsteps outside the door. Yeah, yeah, somebody's there. Who are you? Take a look at me, Pop. That ought to answer your question. You, you come again. Yeah, I told you I'd be paying you another visit. Well, what do you want? I want the body of Dutch Carson. I got a little job he's going to do for me. Phil. Yeah? Makes up a shot of the solution. Hey, it ain't time yet, boss. We don't need none for another hour. It ain't for us, stupid. It's for a new guy I just snatched out of the morgue. I got him in the next room. Yeah, but we're running low on his stuff. Mix it up, I said. We can use this guy. He's valuable. Huh? Who is he? Dutch Carson. Dutch? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't know him, but I heard of him. He's, uh... Well, I don't know him either. But he was supposed to be one of the smarter boys in the Middle West. Until he disappeared about a year ago. What happened to him? I don't know, but what's important now is that we've got his body in the next room. Hey, what's that? What's going on up there? Come on, get inside, you. Hey, why'd you bring that dame in here, Marty? Well, I caught her snooping around outside trying to look in a window. <laughs> Maybe she was trying to cop a quick look at a couple of dead men, eh, boss? Interesting. What's the idea, girlie? Well, it was just a... Oh, your face. Find something wrong with it? You're the one. You're the one that killed Dr. Metzger. Also interesting. Where'd you get your information? Let me out of here. Not a chance. Now sit down like a lady like this. You can't push me around like that. No, well, I'm giving you a pretty good imitation, ain't I? Now, what were you doing outside? Who sent you here? Oh, you're so clever. Why don't you find out? Who sent you here? Answer me. No! Oh, stop it, Jerry. Oh, Lamont! Yeah, Lamont! No, won't do you no goodness, sister. Lamont! Where is he? What have you done with him? I ask you a question. Wait a minute. Done with who? Who are you talking about? You brought him here. What have you done with him? Hey, she must mean the stiff inside. Now, what is this? Who'd you bring here, boss? The body of Dutch Carson. Why? Dutch Carson? Yeah, I snatched him from the morgue. You heard of him, Marty? Heard of him? Are you kidding? A year ago, I buried Dutch Carson a load of concrete at the bottom of a river. I see. Hey, then who did you bring here, boss? I don't know. Hold on to this dame. Yeah. I'm soon going to find out. He's gone. The body's gone. It's a trap. The cops are behind us. One thing is sure, the guy is still in the house. Marty, go out and look around the grounds. Okay, boss. And now, if you don't mind... But I do mind. You're staying right here. No, keep away from me. Give me that knife, Phil. No, no! Sadly, boss, here you are. What are you going to do? I'm going to carve that pretty face of yours to ribbons. No, don't! No, don't! Keep away! Get ready, sister. (laughs) Who left? Not quite so fast, Mr. Aiken. Hey, hey, what's happening? You're not touching that girl. Hey, who done that? Who knocked that knife out of my hand? I did, Mr. X. Who's speaking? Where's that voice coming from? It's coming from the shadow. The shadow, eh? Well, now, shadow, this is one time you've stubbed your toe. Because even you can't do anything to dead men. You're wrong, Mr. X, because I know that you need an injection of Dr. Metzger's solution every 24 hours in order to continue living. Yeah, and we aim to continue getting it. I wouldn't be too sure of that. What do you mean by that, boss? I mean that I now possess the solution. You see? Look... Look, the bottle hanging there in midair. He's got the solution. Give me that bottle, Shadow. Oh, no. This is my hold on you, gentlemen. And I shall keep it until your allotted time expires. I shall watch you return to the dead again. Get away from him, boss. Quick. I'll get it all right. We may not be able to see you, Shadow. 
but we can see the bottle. Boss, put that gun away. That ain't the way to do it. Oh, now you've done it. You hit the wrong target, Mr. Ames. Oh, you broke it, boss. You broke the bottle. It spilled all over the floor. I didn't mean to hit the bottle. I wanted to plug him. You'd better give up, Mr. X. No, no, we ain't giving up. We still got another hour to live, Shadow. Now, luck can be done in that time. We're going to rip this town wide open just for luck. Wait. You're staying here. Yeah, try and stop us. Marco, they've got an hour to spread the greatest terror this city has ever seen. I've got to stop them. We ain't got much time, boss. Look on the back, Marty's gone already. Yeah, I know, Phil. Will we look as bad as that when we return to the dead? We'll never know. Besides, right now, we got a little fun ahead of us. Now, when we get to town, shoot and keep shooting at anybody who gets in our way. They're going to remember us when we get done, Phil. Okay, boss. Hey, hey, watch your driving. This is a narrow bridge. You know, it's something's pulling the wheel. I, what? I can't straighten it out. I... <laughs> You'll never straighten it out, Mr. X. How did he get here? I've been with you since you left your hideout, gentlemen. Hey, let go of the wheel. Shadow. So that you can carry on your campaign of ruthless killing. Oh, no. Hey, he's trying to steer us into the river. Where is he? Hey, he must be on the running board. Hey, let go, Shadow. Don't be a fool, Shadow. If we drown, you'll drown, too. That's not as important as the lives of the innocent people you're planning to kill. Hey, Phil. Phil, I can't hold the wheel much longer. Stop the car. Stop the car. Too late. Too late. might have been drowned, along with your ghostly friends. I certainly might have been, Margot. But fortunately, I threw myself clear of the car before it went over the bridge. You know, Lamont, I've become very attached to you. Oh, don't think for a minute that all our mad exploits together haven't been fun. But I wish that for a while, at least, we could have a calm, peaceful existence. And we shall have, Margot. We shall have. Mm-hmm. Well, nonetheless, I'm sure you'll forgive me if I... Hang on to my hat when we start out again next week. <laughs> Today's program is based on a story copyrighted by The Shadow Magazine. Characters, names, places, and plot are fictitious. Any similarity to persons living or dead is purely coincidental. And now, fresh from the records of the New York General Sessions Court... We bring you conclusive proof that crime does not pay. New York City, December 13th, 1940. Stephen Fleming passes bad check in business deal. Crime, grand larceny in the second degree. New York City, April 1st, 1941. Stephen Fleming sentenced to serve 15 years to life in state's prison. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. Crime does not pay. The shadow knows. <laughs> and that's uh, one of our first programs on The Shadow. I hope you enjoyed it. Please subscribe. We have so many wonderful things coming up. We have interviews, more old audio drama, more new radio drama a new um, themed show that we'll be doing occasionally that we're going to call An Actor's Notebook, where I interview actors, where I talk about experiences in film, television, theater, and um, injuries and near misses and horrifying moments and going up on lines and all of those kind of things that 
might be of interest and um, not just to the actor, but to uh, people who like movies and theater and audio drama. So thank you. I'd just like to say that uh, the original content of this uh, audio podcast is copyright the Mark Redfield Company. And I named it the the Mark Redfield Company, by the way, so that I would remember where to go to work every day. Um, Thanks to Jennifer Rouse uh, for being our audio engineer. And thanks to young Emmett for playing a young me in the early flashback. Um, Thank you very much, Emmett. Uh, Let's see if we can do this on the way out here. Let me grab my glass. Now, um, here we go. The weed of crime bears bitter fruit. The shadow knows. (laughs) Oh, damn. Please come back again for our next show. The original content of this program is copyright the Mark Redfield Company. All other content used by permission of the respective rights holders or used for educational and informational purposes. This is your announcer, Marianne Perry.